Okay, perfect. Um, so I'm Malasia, and if you just be able to introduce yourself. So I'm Dr. Philippe Dion. I'm a board-certified neurologist, author, podcaster, online course creator, and I am a two-time kidney transplant recipient. Okay, perfect. Um, so the first question that we had was sort of just walking us through your transplant journey. Um, how did you know you needed a transplant um, and all those sorts of details? Sure. So I was a college freshman. I was just a week into my college career and I was a college scholarship athlete. So I played tennis uh, growing up and, and got a tennis scholarship to college. And during my physical my first week in school, they noticed that there was something abnormal in my urine. They weren't sure what it was. Uh, so they didn't cleared me to compete. But they said, look, come back in a few days. We'll retest you. You know, they were sure everything would be fine. So I came back a few days later. And again, they noticed this abnormality in my urine. Um, they weren't sure what it was. But this time they cleared me to compete because we had a big tennis tournament coming up. And so go to play in this tennis tournament, which is in this little town in, uh, called Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. And I'm playing my second tennis match of the day. And I go up to serve and my entire body just completely locks up like in one big cramp and I collapse to the floor. And I'm completely unable to move. And so I'm just laid out on this court and when the tennis organizers realized that uh, the tournament organizers realized I would not be able to finish my match and they had all these other matches that were still going on. So what two of them did was pick me up by my hands and feet, carry me to the back of the tennis court and laid me out there. And that's where I stayed for the next hour while balls from different courts were hitting me. Um, I couldn't move. I was freezing cold. And finally, an hour later, somebody decided we should probably call the ambulance of the guy to take him to the hospital so i get to the hospital they run some tests i get you know rehydrated um i'm able to now move and stuff and they're like look when you get back home we suggest that you see a, a kidney doctor and so that sort of began my journey in terms of being diagnosed with kidney failure um so just weeks into my college career where it was kind of like okay you know, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I can do anything. Um, I was then diagnosed with kidney failure. And so I went through college in kidney failure. I went through medical school in kidney failure. And eight days after I walked across the stage at Carnegie Hall to get my med school diploma, I then walked into the operating room at New York Presbyterian Columbia Hospital in New York to receive a kidney transplant. And my donor at that time was my father. So I had a I was blessed to have a living donor. I was blessed to have a father who fought uh, for my life. And so I went on for years and I did fairly well. You know, I took care of thousands of patients and the initial disease process started to come back. And so I started to mentally kind of prepare that I needed a transplant. And then COVID hit. And so I knew with COVID as somebody who was immunocompromised that if I got COVID, like that would not be a, a good thing for, for me. There was a high chance that I would not survive. So I spent a good year doing kind of like a hard quarantine. And then um, somehow I ended up with COVID. Not sure how. I, Whenever I went out, I double masked. I, I've got two little boys. I wore a mask around them. I, I kept my circle very small. Um, but I ended up with COVID, ended up hospitalized for two weeks. And during that hospitalization, the doctors came and said to me, look, um, 
whatever kidney function you had left is completely wiped out. You need dialysis immediately. And up until that point, dialysis had been my biggest fear because everybody I had seen in the hospitals and dialysis centers doing dialysis looked like they were just waiting for death to come. And so when they told me I needed dialysis, so they told me I, I had COVID, which was shocking. Then they told me I needed <laughs> dialysis. So I got two pieces of bad news that wasn't, you know, two pieces of news that weren't so great. And um, I had a decision to make. Was I going to do dialysis like I had seen everybody else do dialysis or was I going to do dialysis my own way? And so I decided to do dialysis differently. When I was on dialysis, I exercised, I traveled, I had a local news agency following me around. I took meetings on dialysis. I certainly rested, but I used that time for a lot of personal and professional development. Um, and then I was blessed again um, a few months after dialysis. My cousin-in-law, Scott, so somebody who's not even blood related to me, um, was my donor. So somebody else who fought for my life, somebody else who believed uh, in me and, and wanted to save my life. That's that's amazing, and I think it turns out that both of your donors were family members. Has that how has that impacted your relationships with your family? Um, do they know more about organ transplantation and things like that because of like this close bond and things like that? Yeah, so both uh, my donors were family members, and and you know it's really interesting, right? So the first my first donor was my father, my second donor was my cousin in law, so somebody who's not blood related to me. I think a lot of times when you go through challenging times, the people that you think are going to be there are not necessarily the people who are there for you. And not that, you you know, I ever expected people to um, say, look, I, I'm going to be your donor. But, you know, people calling or people gathering together or people just, you know, checking in on you. Right. It wasn't the people that I expected. Um, and so. Yes, I can certainly say my father and mother know a lot more about organ donation. My cousin-in-law, Scott, and my cousin, Lisa, know a lot more about organ donation. Um, I'm not sure if other people in the family really know because we, you know, they're, they're kind of around when great things happen and not <laughs> around when challenging things happen, right? Um, but I think that the lesson is that, look, it may not always be the people that you expect, but as long as you have one or two champions in your life, then you have a very rich life. Definitely, definitely. Lesson to learn. Um, I wanted to also ask, so you've done a bunch of work, you know, you mentioned the podcast, books, things like that. Um, would you be able to talk more about that um, and like what got you started on that path? Yeah, so actually last week just released my brand new podcast called Surviving Your Brain. Um, we released the first episode last week. A new episode gets released every Tuesday. Uh, so the second episode got released this morning. Uh, every Tuesday for essentially the next four months through through September. Um, and so we've got some great guests. We talk about great topics, all related to your brain, all really teaching people how to become the leaders their brains need them to be in order to achieve the health, the life, the success that they want. And so that has been sort of my big thing over the last few years is as somebody who's been a patient essentially my entire adult life, but also somebody who is a, a brain expert. It's really merging the two things in order to help people um, really thrive in life, really have a different relationship with their brain so they can thrive and overcome any obstacles that they face. And so I've got my online course called Take Charge of Your Brain, where we've helped so many people through that course, right? Because 
everything that we face. I mean, when you think about one of the things I tell people all the time is that our brains are so powerful, our thoughts are so powerful, that companies are spending trillions of dollars a year in order to be able to control the way that we think, because they know if they can control the way that we think, they control the actions that we take. Right? And so giving people that power, um, I think is really important. So even in terms of overcoming my own story with kidney disease, a lot of that certainly is related to the fact that I've had two incredible men who decided to be donors. But a lot of that too is because of the way that I thought about my life and what I was going through and what was possible for me in the future. That had to do with the way of my knowledge of how the brain works, of being a brain expert, right? Um, and so that's something that I'm really just trying to pass on to others because we've all got challenges, we've all got dreams, and we can accomplish, we can overcome and accomplish anything that we want in this world. But what I'm doing is giving you the tools to do so. It's very inspiring, um, even for, you know, people who don't normally feel like they have problems or they face issues and using that sort of like mentality helps overcome a lot. So that's really interesting. Um, I know you sort of touched upon this already, but the intersection between you being a patient and also being like a healthcare provider, how does that affect like your day-to-day -day, like clinic or when you're seeing patients um, every day, yeah. how has that affected that? Yeah, so one of the things that I always say is that the fact that I've been a patient has made me a much better doctor because I can relate to my patients on a completely different level, right? I know what it's like to face my mortality. I know what it's like to look in the mirror and not really recognize who the person that's looking back at you. I know what it's like to have to take medications that don't make you feel all that great. I know what it's like to just be uncertain about what the future has to hold. And so when I am seeing patients in that capacity, our connection is deeper, our conversations are deeper. I mean, I know what they're going through on a day-to-day -day basis. And so for me, it's not about pills, right? It's about doing the things every single day that not only are going to get you healthier, but are going to get to the root of the underlying issue. Um, things that are really going to allow you to kind of thrive from just a, a physical, neurological and, and mental health perspective. So our connection just tends to be that much deeper. Thank you for answering. I know you said sort of like when we talked at Live On, when you said that to me, that was like the most inspiring part of what we talked about. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, I did want to sort of switch over back into like your organ transplant um, and ask what was the hardest part of being an organ recipient? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the toughest part of being an organ, so it's a couple of things. I think especially that first time when I was in my 20s and you feel like you're supposed to be sort of invincible. Um, one of the things that I really struggled with is this idea that I needed somebody else's organ for me to survive. Um, you know, that, that was really just difficult for me. Um, and at some point I was actually kind of like, look, not everybody's meant to live forever. You know, like I had had a good 20 plus year run, like I was kind of ready to go. And like I said, I was blessed because my father fought for me. And so I think getting through that sort of idea that I needed somebody to make that large of a sacrifice just for me to survive. So that was really, really tough. You know, that that was a time where I was resentful and angry and, you know, went through the kind of why me stages. Um, and then when I went through this again, uh, kind of in my late 30s, early 40s, it was just a very different mindset. Um, both times, I would say, 
I focused on a bigger picture, which allowed me to get through. When I was in my 20s, it was I need to, to graduate college. I knew I wanted to be a doctor, so I needed to graduate medical school. So it was more of an annoyance because it was I was always focused on the bigger picture. This time around, again, it was being focused on the bigger picture. I've got two little boys who need their father. Right? Uh, I want to be impactful in this world. I want to change lives. And so I think taking the focus off of me was really important. And that's something that I teach people uh, in my online course. Like, you can't always be focused on you. In fact, there are going to be people out there who have it worse than you have. And so taking the focus off of you is actually really, really healthy. Right? The other thing that I would say was really tough. This may be uh, a little TMI and a little sort of gruesome, but this is actually a part of the procedure. It's about 46 weeks after you have a transplant. So when you have a kidney transplant, they put a little a stent in to keep the ureter open, right? But that stent cannot stay in forever. So 46 weeks out, they have to remove that stent. Now they don't do an operation to, to cut you open and remove the stent. Uh, as a male, what they do is they go through your penis. <laughs> right? And you are awake for this. Um, and it is probably more mentally traumatic than it is physically, right? Uh, so I would say that that is the toughest part, but it is a necessary part. Um, and it's probably going to be one of the toughest five to 10 minutes of your life, but you will get through it. <laughs> wow, that's um, that's intense. And my next question is going to be, how has your life changed, like physically, mentally, emotionally? But I think you pretty much answered that, sort of encapsulated that in that answer. Um, but I do want to ask, so... A lot of the organ recipients and even donors that we've met, they are super resilient. They have very positive outlook on life. Um, and I think, you know, especially with what you're talking about, like taking the focus off of you onto like the bigger picture. How did you come to that conclusion? How did you cultivate that outlook and how did you maintain it? Yeah. So I think in medicine, we know that people who have a much more positive mindset do better than people who, who don't. Right. So I've, I've had patients who, have a terminal diagnosis, but because they have such a positive mindset, you're like, you know, statistically you should have passed away like three years ago, but you're still here. You look great. You're feeling great. Right. Um, and so I think carrying that with me was really important. You know, a lot, a lot, I've been very much inspired by patients that I've taken care of. And so you take bits and pieces and see how they've accomplished things. Um, but also, it's just knowing how truly powerful our brains are. And when we're using our brains th the way that they're meant to be used, we really can overcome anything. And so, you know, there, there's statistics out there that we've got somewhere between 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. 90 to 95% of those thoughts are the same exact thoughts we had yesterday. 60 to 70% of those thoughts are negative, right? And then we kind of wonder, well, then it kind of makes sense as to why a lot of people are miserable and a lot of people can't change their lives. And so for me, it's about taking the focus away from the negativity and really being focused on what is possible. And so I focused on the life that I wanted to have, right? I didn't focus on the symptoms or this idea of death or whatever. I focused on the life that I wanted to have I was present in the moment when playing with my kids or doing podcasts or whatever it was I was doing. 
and really focused on the life I, I truly wanted to create for myself. Yeah, thank you for answering that. Um, and then I wanted to shift back into like organ advocacy, organ donation advocacy, um, your work with Live On, any sort of other advocacy you've done, if you could just speak a little bit on that. Yeah, so for me, I think it's really important um, to, to give back, right? I am still alive because people have given me the ultimate gift of life. And so for me, it's to sort of pay it forward. I think here in New York, we've got about 7,000 people, maybe 8,000 people who are waiting for kidney transplants. And I think that we could we can reduce that number to zero, right? Just by advocacy, just by teaching people about the gift of life, just by showing people that, look, you can be a living donor and still do well. Four days after I had my first kidney transplant, my dad was my donor. He was up dancing because him and my mom do, they're big into Argentinian tango, right? It is now, I don't know, uh, 17 years, 16 years like after that first transplant. And he still does Argentinian tango with my mom. Like they're, you know, he's, he's healthy, he's strong. Uh, my cousin Scott, my cousin-in-law Scott is in law enforcement. He's a strong guy, good father, great husband, active life, right? So showing people that, telling them that story um, lets them know what's possible for them. Definitely, and that's something we've been trying really hard to do is by, you know, when we speak to donors, having them, and a lot of them say that they even live a healthier lifestyle after they're donor, after they um, donated an organ, just to like keep up with what they had thought they were initially. Um, and so like, that's something we're really trying to, to spotlight um, through our interviews as well. Um, okay, um, and then the, I think the second to last question um, was, well, I guess two, three more questions. Um, the first one was, what was the most rewarding parts of your career so far? Yeah, so definitely the most rewarding part is the fact that people allow you into their lives at a time when they are most vulnerable, most scared, oftentimes facing their mortality. And it doesn't matter where they come from or where you come from. It doesn't matter if you've got shared backgrounds, right? In those moments, people allow you in to help them. And I think that that's incredibly powerful. And because of that, I have forged some really strong relationships with patients. Right. I, I learned from them. They learned from me. But we have this this bond um, because you're, you're a significant part of their life and they're a significant part of your life. Definitely. Um, and this is the actually second to last question. Um, during being that you're a healthcare provider, have you come across any organ donation misconceptions, things like that? Um, yeah. Myths and things like that. Yeah. So definitely have come across. Uh, a lot of myths, um, people thinking like, you know, they'll take your organs and use it for somebody else. Um, people not um, realizing that you can still live a full life as an organ donor and even as an organ recipient. There's plenty of people on dialysis who don't even know, who don't even want a transplant because they don't know what's possible, right? They don't realize that they can live a full and rewarding normal life and so yeah there are a lot of myths out there and and part of the work is to dispel those myths definitely and have you like specifically like a patient has talked to you or something like that and 
they like said these myths and how did you handle that? Yeah, so the way that I've always handled that is to really just share my personal story. Um, and, and I've done it in the context of just trying to relate to patients when they're going through a tough time, but I've certainly done it in the context of working with somebody who did need an, an organ transplant and showing them what's possible. And a lot of times their reaction is kind of like, wait, you've had, you've had, an, you've had a kidney transplant, you've had two kidney transplants, like you're so, you look so strong and healthy and you're taking care of patients and you're doing all these things, right? But showing them what is possible for them is so incredibly important. And when you are a walking testimony and they get to interact with you, you know, that, that's incredibly po powerful. Definitely. Um, and then, okay, actually last question. Um, you were a young adult when you had your transplant um, and there's a lot of other young adults out there who don't think that organ donation is an issue they should care about or is something that could even affect them in their lifetime. So do you have anything to say um, to these you know, individuals or anything you wish you could tell yourself back then um, so you could have been more prepared for like what is organ donation and things like that, yeah. Yeah, so I think statistically speaking, most people will in their families have somebody who will need an organ transplant at some point. I mean, when we just think about the amount of kidney failure, the amount of uh, dialysis centers, when we think about the amount of people that have high blood pressure and diabetes and autoimmune disease, so statistically speaking, it's going to hit families. And um, you have the opportunity to really not just give the gift of life, but improve the quality of your family member, your loved one's life. Um, and so I think knowing about organ donation prepares you for that possibility. Definitely. Um, okay, perfect. Thank you so much for all your answers, for spending time with us. Um, this is definitely super impactful. Um, I think I, I think a lot of people will agree. Um, do you have anything else to say to the people um, before we stop the recording? Yeah, you know, what I, one of the things that I always tell people is that our brains are constantly evolving. And what I think is incredibly powerful about that is that we are meant to evolve as, as a society, as a community, but especially as individuals. And learning uh, is part of that evolution and even learning about uh, organ donation and what people are capable of. And so realizing that people are far more powerful as individuals than society would ever have you think. And so one of the things I tell people often is that you wanna tap into your, that, that, that power that you have. You wanna tap into your brain power. Um, when you do so, you create an extraordinary life for yourself, but also for those who are around you. Definitely. Um, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and 